In the name of one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's be seated. The body of Christ, the bread of heaven. The body of Christ, the bread of heaven. We hear these words every week at the Eucharist, and we're going to hear about this bread for at least the next month in our lectionary, as the gospel lesson for each week of August takes us deeper and deeper into the sixth chapter of St. John's Gospel. So it's probably a good time, good as any, to ask exactly what kind of bread is Jesus? Is he the little round communion wafers that children often confuse with cardboard? Is he a crispy flatbread? Or maybe a supple pita? Or could he be a delicious baguette or even a flaky, buttery croissant? What about cornbread? A nice cornbread made in a cast iron skillet with those delightfully crispy buttermilk edges? Maybe he could even be a very rich banana bread, so warm and chock full of nuts. Or a fresh challa loaf sathered with sweet honey. Mmm, I'm getting a little hungry. Well, I'm not hungry really because I had a good breakfast. I'm afraid that my mouth is watering though. And what I'm most afraid of is that my mouth waters more readily for fresh baked bread than it does for God. What would it look like, I wonder, to tremble for God's sweetness? to drool over the bread that gives life to the world. If you know me well, you know I have a high Christology about the Eucharist, meaning I really do think it turns to the body and blood of Jesus. That's another sermon for another day. But Jewish Midrash tells us that the manna that God gave to the Israelites in the desert could have tasted like whatever each person wanted it to taste like. Willy Wonka fans, the raspberry tastes like raspberry, the strawberry tastes like strawberry, the snozberries. Anyway, remember, as we just heard this story in the Exodus, the Israelites, they were lost. They were lost, and they were fearful out in the desert. And they were hungry, and they were wishing that they had never left home. They bickered, they whined, they moaned, they griped. And what did God do? graciously rain down manna for them, and just enough for each day, and it sustained them. According to later rabbis, if someone had a hankering for those peanut butter cookies over at Fair Trade, that's what they tasted in God's gift. If you had a hankering for a salad, a salad. Double butter burger with cheese from Culver's? You know where I'm going. For the rabbis, God didn't just nourish unhappy travelers. God delighted them, 
delighted them with a joy and a deep and abundant goodness. And in our gospel, Jesus compares himself to the manna, the bread from heaven, the generous gift of God. Jesus compares himself to food that not only nourishes but delights, food that satisfies our deepest, truest desires. The difference, of course, between an Asiago cheese bagel and the bread of life? Jesus' bread doesn't go stale. Manna only lasted for the day. And if you tried to hoard it, then it would turn bad and sprout worms. Croissants? They get dry. Cake? Get stale. Real real bagels? They'll get so hard after a half day. You can use them like that donut thing at the end of a baseball bat. The same thing goes for otherworldly delights with which we try to nourish ourselves in God's stead. I had a very close colleague who relayed that at a difficult time in her life, she had this reoccurring dream. She was in a dark, empty room, and it was filled with one item, and it was a mini-fridge. And it was right in the center of the room. And it was kind of a small fridge like you'd have in a dorm room. And in her dream, every time she was hungry, really hungry. And there was no food in the house at all. So hoping to find something to eat, she would kneel down in front of this refrigerator and open the door. And this light would come out and it would lighten the darkness of the room. And yet inside, the shelves were empty except for a couple of unappetizing containers of moldy leftovers. And it was at that point, hungry and dejected, but unwilling to close the refrigerator door, that she would wake up. Well, it doesn't take a theologian to explain that dream. In the busy distress of her daily life, and I would guess in our daily lives, She was spiritually starving. And whatever stores of joy and meaning that she had previously stored up in the Tupperwares of her spiritual refrigerator, they had sat way too long uneaten and untended. And she'd gathered up only the food that perishes, possessions, acclaim, Facebook likes, dreams of perfection. I feel most of us probably can relate to that. And what she hungered for, for what we all hunger for, is a bread that endures, the bread of life that is Jesus, that Jesus offers us, a food of love, a food of forgiveness, a food of grace. And there's good news The good news is that this bread of life isn't hard to find. Open our mouths watering and open our eyes and we will see it. And not only do we receive the body of Jesus Christ here at the altar of God every Sunday, we can find it hidden in the most ordinary of places. The kind of bread that Jesus knew, the kind of bread that Jesus used to feed the multitudes in last week's gospel. It's plain food. It's peasant food. It is rough 
and it is commonplace, and it is just barley bread. I had some once in Scotland, the kind of bread that shepherds stick into their pockets to take into the mountains when they are weeks in the pasture with the cows, and it's a small chunk of bread, heavy enough to be a paperweight, scratches the throat going down, and when you cut it, you have to saw it. It's gray in color. It's the color of earth. It's the color of humble things. It's the color of the cross. And while this bread might not always delight, it can be counted on to withstand any hardship. It is, as Lauren Winter says, bread that sustains oppressed people on their journey through dangerous territory. We need this kind of bread. We need it. And today we celebrate that Betsy becomes an eater of that bread. She becomes a member of the Christian family, of the body of Christ. And today, she takes a deep breath of the Holy Spirit that moves to us and through us and from us and is welcome to engage as a member of our family in the body of Christ. And we'll see that in her as we should see it in all of us and we should see it hidden, hidden in the places and the people that we so easily overlook hidden outside the safety of our walls, hidden beyond the boundaries of our propriety, part and parcel even to our own most hated flaws. And within those heavy silences of what seems like unanswered prayers, Jesus is daily sustenance and extraordinary delight. And today we have an extraordinary delight. I want to tell one story before I close, and it's about a little boy that I had in my first church. His name was Noah. Noah did two things that so endeared me to him, I'll love him the rest of my life. Anytime we had a veggie tray on the table, he covered all ten fingers in olives. (laughs) Anytime we had communion, he would come up to the rail He would consume communion, and he would go, Jesus makes me strong! (laughs) And his mom would go, Weren't it the case that everyone came with that theology so deep and so grounded in the truth of the love of God that Jesus makes me strong? Whatever you want in the body of Christ, whether it is forgiveness or love or a sense of value and purpose, a call to ministry, it's there. It's there for you. And I invite you to close your eyes, and I know we don't do that as Episcopalians, but I invite you to close your eyes just for a moment and imagine what kind of bread that you most desire Jesus to give you? What would delight your heart? What would enliven your mind? What would sustain you in the wilderness? And what would call you to your greatest self and set you forth on a search for God? When you come forward today to the altar of God and you put your hands out to receive our Lord, 
Taste and see. Taste and see and trust and delight in the goodness of the Lord.